Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, um, river guides, I mean, if you, if whitewater rafting guides, uh, they're, they're pretty descriptive when they begin to talk about um, names of obstacles or rapids uh, that are ahead of them. You know, names like uh, Soul Crusher uh, and uh, Hellhole and Godzilla and Terminator and, and Twisted Sister. And, uh, the, the, you know, if, if anything, these guys are, are these guys, I guess, are pretty, pretty descriptive. Um, and if you've ever booked a whitewater rafting trip, you know that as you head towards these rapids and someone tells you the name of them, uh, it's typically named by the first person who nego- negotiated those, those rapids. It kind of gives you a, a bit of a picture, a word picture that allows you to look forward and anticipate what you're about to experience. Um, and uh, here, I just grabbed some pictures that kind of, kind of, uh, kind of, yeah, this one, uh, this set of rapids is called the baptism and it's aptly named. <laughs> I don't, and I don't know if you can see, but the guide is in the back and he's really hunkered down there. Everyone else is smiling at this point in the picture. Uh, here's the next one here. This, this uh, set of rapids is called the dump truck. And I don't know why everyone's in the back. On this one, apparently the guy just got him doing that. Here's another one. Uh, this set of rapids actually has no name. I just call it bye-bye. Uh, here's another set of rapids. This one is, I mean, you've two, got two kayakers here. This one's called the toilet bowl. And um, I understand completely how the guy would get sucked into this little whirlpool. Um, but man, I just would love to hear the story. How do you get out of something like that? And it really sucks you in. Here's another one. It's called The Undertaker. Um, and it's really hard to tell which direction the river is going and flowing. Um, and uh, But it's always helpful to have a guide. And th- that's the guy in the back. This is a picture of a river in Uganda, whitewater rafting. And you can see the different faces in this picture. of They kind of capture the emotions some anticipation, some are like, it's fear, uh, it's good to have a guide, but sometimes guides don't quite get it right, same, same boat, um, and it throws them, here's another picture, I call this picture second thoughts, uh, and if you've done anything like that, you need a t-shirt like this one uh, to go along just to say, hey, I, I, I did this, look, here's, here's the deal, Here's the deal. We've been talking about biblical hospitality. And last week I talked about how uh, it, it, will, it will unseat uh, personal safety and comfort uh, with radical sacrifice. It will take an invisible faith and replace it with compelling faith. It dethrones fragmentation with connection. And if you were here last week and you heard me talking about that, you probably had some yeah, but moments. What, what, what I mean, like... Ah, okay, okay, but, you know, this, this could happen, or that could happen, and, and, and that's absolutely true. There are some natural hindrances to living out biblical hospitality. There are some yeah, but moments, and um, that would cause us to, uh, to maybe hold back, but we've got to learn how to navigate our way through those, um, you know, those, those, those tricky situations. And, and just to sort of catch us up, a little bit of reminder, when we mean biblical hospitality, here's what we mean. Hospitality is extending a welcome to strangers with a kindness usually reserved for friends and family. It's, I, I shared this story last week. My two friends, I moved here from, uh, from Hong Kong. They took me in. They treated me like family. They treated me like their best friend, yet they, they didn't really know me. That's biblical hospitality. And in many forms, many ways, that that is expressed. 
Um, and uh, verses like Romans chapter 12, verse 13, uh, they, they give us sort of a biblical underpinning for living out hospitality. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. We see this, this, this command to practice biblical hospitality. Yet at the same time, we see the hindrances. And, and today, if you allow me, just sort of uh, create some word pictures for you. What I want to do, and the time I have with you this morning, is I want to just, I want to highlight four major hindrances to living out biblical hospitality. See them as sort of your class five rapids. We're going to give some, some creative names to them, sort of monikers that help you understand what lies ahead of you. We'll, we'll give them some, some word picture names there. And then what I want to do after highlighting those four, and by the way, there's more than four. I'm just, these are four big ones. Um, after talking about those four, I want to get to the why. Why would we risk, you know, the toilet bowl? Why would we risk going, navigating our way through this? What, you know, wh- why would we do that? I want, I want to sort of try and attempt to answer that question and then give us some practical ways that we can continue to engage in biblical hospitality. So, Put your helmet on and get in your, in your kayak or your raft because here we go. Uh, and we're going to start talking about some of these hindrances. And the first one I call HGTV. Okay. Now, for those of you, a lot of you know what HGTV is. It stands for Home and Garden Television. And um, I'm not saying that HGTV is the problem. It's sort of, it's the moniker that describes the, the temptation, the thing that works against us from living out the gospel. HGTV is a very popular cable channel. And um, actually, about a couple years ago, it became the third most popular cable channel. It passed a CNN. And the only two channels that are viewed more than HGTV are Fox News and ESPN. It, it, hosts show, it, it hosts shows like uh, uh, Fixer Upper and House Hunter and Good Bones and uh, people are engaged because it's all about real estate and home improvement. And what, what researchers are, are telling us is that there are like major words that keep coming up on each and every one of these programming. Uh, these programs, these, these common words, and I'll read some of them for us because what they do for us is they help us exegete culture. They help you and I understand how people, how we feel about our homes. Because the words that people use to, to talk about their homes are words like retreat and haven, sanctuary, oasis, privacy, hideaway. And what happens is, is, is because we, we view our homes as retreats and an oasis, this explains why we have privacy fences and security guards and key codes. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, is we want people to stay out and we want this place to be a place where we can unwind, we can catch our breath, and where we can just sort of refresh ourselves. And HGTV sort of captures that tension in our lives of our home seen, being seen as sort of our temple of relaxation. 
people out. I get to stay in here. And what happens is, is when we embrace sort of this outlook on the way our home, with, with the way we treat our homes or our apartments, um, the, the, it, it really works against us when we start living up biblical hospitality. And to complicate things even more, many of you in the room are introverts. Raise your hand if you're an introvert. Okay, yeah, it's, okay, there's quite a few. Some of you who are introverts didn't raise your hand because you're an introvert. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's, that's just the reality. And, and there's, there's some guys like, biblical, I open my home. I mean, I'm, I'm just not a people person, Steve. And I, it's, it's, hard, it's sometimes hard for me to understand because I'm an extrovert. I'm the, I'm the other side. I, 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 t- I told you last week, I, my first job was working in a library, which was like hell on earth for me. Uh, it was so much silence. But as an extrovert, you, you know that, you know, Steve, just some silence would be good for you. And, and, that, and that's true. I, it's, it'd be, it's good for me to engage in solitude. That's a, that's a healthy practice for me, and I, I do engage in that. And so I would say if you're an introvert, while this, this, this particular hindrance may seem like that, that's, this is not something I can do, actually it's healthy for you as well. You may have to take it in smaller doses, but the, the definition of an introvert is not hermit or recluse. It just means that you're, you're, you're drained by interaction with people. I mean, some of you are just coming to church, drains you. It takes you longer to recharge your batteries. And that's, God's wired you on purpose that way. And, and that's okay. But for all of us, whether extrovert or introvert, this is a set of rapids we got to navigate our way through. That yet, it's not wrong to have your home be a place that's a hideaway, an oasis. Uh, but not, it's not okay if it means no one else gets to enter your space. Because we're called to love people and treat strangers, treat them with the same kindness that we treat family and friends. And oftentimes that what that means is opening the spaces in our lives to people that we just don't know very well. In fact, if you've ever read the Bible, you're probably very familiar in the New Testament. There are dozens upon dozens of commands about how to care for one another. They're called the one another verses. Uh, here, here's a list of them. We'll put them on the screen. This is just a, a sampling. You know, I'll just clothe yourself in humility. Be subject to one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Love one another. Confess your sins to one another. If we're not careful, if we don't know how to navigate our way through this class five rapids called HGTV, what's going to happen is there aren't going to be any another's around us to one another. Because we'll have so isolated and insulated ourselves from community that we won't be able to embrace biblical hospitality. So this is the first set of rapids that we're going to have to learn how to navigate our way through. The second one uh, I call the Mad Hatter. The Mad Hatter. If you've been to Disneyland or to Disney World, you know that this is a ride there. It's these teacups that, that spin uh, around. And um, I, I don't know if you've ever been on one of those teacups. I've never wanted to be in one of those teacups. I have watched people on them. A guy named Mark Buchanan uh, spent some time watching people on the, on the teacups. And Buchanan, uh, in his book called The Rest of God, uh, shares one of those experiences. And uh, here's what Buchanan writes in his book, The Rest of God. He said, there were five girls on the Mad Hatter wedged together on a circular bench molded inside a giant teacup. They were strapped in snug to the hard seats, and the machine started up slow at first. Then with a a jerk, the teacups began to back eddy. Everyone yelped. 
the whole awful contraption built up speed and flung the riders faster and faster in wide, dizzying circles. Their screams scattered windward with the motion. One of these five girls was not doing well. Her face was taut with anxiety. Her eyes shut. She gripped the handlebars in front of her with a death clutch and pushed her body close into the seat. The other girls around her were oblivious, laughing at each swoop and whoosh of the ride, tilting their heads out so their hair whipped hard in the wind. Every time their teacups spun into view, the scene was the same, only a bit worse. The laughing girls with the fanfare of hair and their horrified, mortified companion. First, her face was flushed red, then blanched white, then shaded green and then she threw up a great sparkling arc of spew that gushed upward and boomerang backward and spattered inside the teacup like those paintings you can do in another part of Disney World where you dropped gobs of a bright acrylic into a vortex that flung the paint in stringy patterns, uh, spatters onto a canvas. You came away with something that looked like the works of Jackson Pollock. The girls stopped laughing abruptly. <laughs> there was more spewing. It turns out that vomit is contagious. Friends, here's the Mad Hatter. Many of us have been caught up in the frenetic pace of life. And busyness has us swooping and whooshing in dizzying circles. And many of us are moving at such a frantic pace and that we're just, our calendars are so crammed full of things. And then you come to church and some pastor gets up and says, invite people over and get to know somebody and say hi to somebody. And you're like saying, that's the last thing I want to do. I'm exhausted. And the reason is, is because you're stuck in the whirlpool the back eddy of the Mad Hatter. That life, the pace of life has become so frantic for you that the idea of literally, of, of, of caring for people, for people is like, no, I need to be cared for. And so we cocoon ourselves and we step back into our homes and we step back into HGTV. And this frantic pace of life is exhausting us. Uh, Gordon McDonald in his book called Reorganizing Your, 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 your Private World, he tells this story, some of you have heard this story before, in which uh, there's this explorer, he's hired some porters, some African porters, and he's pushing into the heart of Africa, he's making great gains every day, he's getting farther than he ever expected, day four, he wakes up in camp, uh, he's excited to push in because by day four he didn't realize he'd be this far ahead, and he gets up and notices that none of the porters are awake, and they can't be found. And so he's walking around looking for these, these porters who are going to help him make this next day's push. And he finally founds them, finds them, and, uh, and, and, and they're sort of sitting around and, and kicking back. And um, he says, you know, what are you guys doing? We've we, we got to go. We've got we to move. And they're saying, no, no, we're not moving today. He said, what, what do you mean we're not moving today? We've got to make some gains and, and push in. And um, as the story is told, one of the porters says to him, We've been moving so hard and fast, we need to stop and allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. You, you ever been there? You ever been there where life has been moving at such a fast pace, 
swooping and whooshing around at dizzying circles and the thought of adding one more thing to your calendar just it's like the straw that broke the camel's back I, I can't do it Soaring Kierkegaard Danish philosopher says this the press of busyness is like a charm its power swells it reaches out seeking always to lay hold of ever younger victims so that childhood or youth are scarcely allowed the quiet and the retirement in which the eternal may unfold a divine growth. What Let me just give you Kierkegaard for dummies. Here's what he's saying. He's saying speed kills. Speed will suffocate you. Busyness will get you to a place where... where even things like sharing a meal with somebody becomes so distasteful that you know gates will lock and fences will be built and security guards will be hired. And friends, we've got to find our way. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to find a way to navigate our way through this set of rapids called the Bad Hatter. And I would just say, if you find yourself there, let me just say to you, what, this, what the psalmist says is just be still. Be still and know that he is God. One of the best things you can do to navigate your way through this, these set of rapids is being still with your God. So we're called biblical hospitality. It's, it's evident from Scripture. We're going to have to navigate HGTV. We're going to have to navigate the Mad Hatter. Here's the third one that we're going to have to navigate. I call this one Debbie Downer. Uh, Debbie is, is very, she's a very risk adverse person. She's overly cautious. She's a character from a Saturday Night Live, you know, comedic show. If you ever see, if you haven't been introduced to Debbie Downer before, here's a quick little introduction uh, via video on, on the screen. She'll tell you all the reasons why this won't work. She's been overcome by the spirit of Eeyore. She'll tell you why, why the, what, what dangers might be, what pitfalls might be out there. And, um, and friends, can we just say this? When it comes to biblical hospitality, th- there is so much that can go wrong. There, there is, there, there, things can happen. I, I've, I've been getting some emails. Uh, someone shared this story with me this past week. Uh, and they said, last year a college student stayed with us for a few weeks. It truly was a great experience. And we were sad to see him go. But his time with us was a reminder of what hospitality really looks like. When he wasn't at school, he was with us all day. Every day. A lot of L's. All day. Every day. We didn't have much privacy as a family. Our grocery bills skyrocketed. He used all the hot water in the morning. The electric bill was higher. I had no idea how one person could consume and use so much toilet paper. (laughs) And one time he set off our home alarm at 5 a.m. Still another person says, you know, I I opened my house one time and I had someone, someone stole from me, stole items from their home. Still another person said, I loaned a car to someone and they totaled it. Look, there, there's a ton that can go wrong when it comes to hospitality. Which, by the way, it, when, it, when it comes to, you know, should I be expressing hospitality? Being tuned in to this voice of the Spirit is, this is really important. Because you don't want to engage in hospitality out of motive of guilt. 
What you want is it's, it's a prompting of the Spirit. You see a need, the Spirit speaking to you, and you step in and you offer safety, protection, drink, food, a smile, a handshake, a welcome. And, um, and yes, and sometimes things, things can go sideways. We can think of a hundred reasons of why not to engage in hospitality, biblical hospitality, but let me just give you one reason of why we should anticipate engaging in this. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says these words. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Friends, Jesus so closely identifies with the stranger that he says that when you invited me in, when you smiled at me, when you dropped me that note, when you had me in your home, when you did that, you you, you were doing it to me. He so closely identifies with the stranger that he says, you did it unto me. And then if you know that parable, you also know that he says that he, for people who, who, who never offered hospitality, he's saying, depart from me. I didn't know you. Because I, I was thirsty and there was no drink. I was hungry and there was no food. I was a stranger and you didn't provide shelter. And he so closely identifies himself with the plight of the person who needs hospitality that to provide hospitality to that person is to provide hospitality to Jesus. So, oh yeah, there's all kinds of things that can, can go wrong. I mean, um, Trina and I, can, we, we could share stories with you. But there's so much that can go right because... It's as if you are hosting Jesus when you take in a stranger. That's how closely Jesus identifies with those who are in need. And so we've got to learn how to navigate. This. Maybe, you would, maybe for you, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not risk adverse. I'm, that's not a problem for me. Well, great. That's, this is probably not going to be a, a set of rapids that's going to be hard for you to navigate. But for, for many others, th- this one's a tough one. And then here's the last one. I'll just call the last one the couch potato. We've got HDTV. We got the Mad Hatter, we got Debbie Downer, Here's the couch potato. This one's pretty self-explanatory. The couch potato is just a picture of, of someone who's sort of, you know, they've been working all day and they get home and they plop on the, on, on the couch. And by the way, we're, what uh, sociologists are telling us is that the average American works somewhere between eight and a half to nine hours a day. They sleep somewhere between seven and eight hours a night. And the average American spends five hours a day in front of a screen. Their TV. This just doesn't even count phones. Five hours in front of uh, a TV screen, which if you do the math means somewhere between two and a half to three months out of your year, you're watching TV shows. I mean, think about it. You're giving time to work. You've got to sleep. And then you've got this resource of time that could be used for a lot of different things. And we're talking about hospitality and saying welcome to somebody um, who's either new or a stranger or, or someone you, a neighbor of yours. And uh, five of those hours are being consumed by watching TV shows. Um, and, and by the way, someone said last night, well, it sounds like I go cancel Netflix. No, that's not, that's not what this is about. Netflix is not evil. It, it's, it's the idea of what we... It's a lack of self-control that actually gets us in trouble, gets us caught in the whirlpools of this set of rapids. Arwa um, Mawadi, she says this. She says, "I, I watch a lot of Netflix, and I'm starting to worry that it's become an emotional crutch. If I'm feeling stressed or depressed... I self-medicate by staying up late, streaming show after show. Netflix, for me, is like audio-visual diazepam. It's an anxiety med. It numbs my senses and makes me forget about everything else, which is welcome considering the state of the world. And just when I remember what I should be focusing on, 
Five, four, three, two, one. Another episode starts automatically, and I tune out again. Friends, the CEO of Netflix last year made this statement. He said, our chief competition is not Amazon Prime or Hulu or any other streaming service. Our chief competitor to Netflix is sleep. And friends, this whole couch potato set of rapids is challenging for us because, again, if we see our homes as a temple of relaxation or if our schedules will keep us uh, from, from engaging in biblical hospitality or if, if, it's, if it's a fear that grips our hearts when it comes about caring for strangers or if it's being glued to your couch, all these things, they, they, they serve as hindrances to living out the commands that Christ has given to us about living hospitality out for others. Now, why in the world we strap a helmet on and get in a raft and try and navigate these rapids? I mean, let's face it. It, it, it kind of feels good to shut the garage door and step into our oasis. I mean, the busyness thing is a little bit overwhelming for us, so the thought of adding more things to our counter is just like, why would I want to do that? And there are risks. And, you know, there's vegging out. I mean, it... There's something that feels somewhat therapeutic in doing it. Why would we want to risk our way or navigate our way through those kind of hindrances? Here's, here's the why. Here's why I believe that it's well worth it to navigate these class five rapids. If you look at the stories in scripture in which biblical hospitality is offered, you're going to see a common theme. Let me just walk you through some stories real quickly. And then we'll just, here's the common theme that sticks out. Take the story of Abraham and Sarah. They take three strangers in. They take these three strangers. Abraham, he, he's making a feast for them. Uh, and these strangers, they come more than once. And in one of the visits, one of the strangers says to Abraham, this time next year when I come, you're going to have a son. And Sarah overhears it in the tent, and she laughs. Why, why is she laughing? Well, because she's quite old. There's... There's some mileage on the tires, and the idea of her having a child, that idea, is that's, that's long gone. But this promised child is, is coming, and, um, and it comes as they're sharing hospitality. Uh, go to the story of Elijah. There's a famine in the land. People are not eating, and there's, there's not water. He stumbles upon a single mom with a child who's getting ready to uh, cook their last meal. She's gathering sticks. And Elijah says, hey, can you share some of your food with me? And she says, well, I'm, I'm cooking a meal. It's sort of our last meal. Then, then, then we're done. The refrigerator is empty. And, uh, and then we're going to die. And Elijah says, no, no, just offer some hospitality to me and then watch God be at work. And if you know that story, the refrigerator stays full. She never runs out of flour. The oil is never emptied from her jar. Elisha that the, comes after Elijah. Elisha, he's offered hospitality by, the, by the, a Shunammite woman, a wealthy Shunammite woman. In fact, if you've read that story, it, it tells you all the things that are in the little room that she's prepared for Elisha. It seems like she has everything. Her and her husband have everything in life, but there is a void, and that void is a son. There's no children, and they're longing for a son. And while Elisha is with him, a son is born. Some years later, the son dies, and Elisha steps in, and he actually prays, and he's brought back to life. 
And then go to the New Testament and see how Jesus sending out the 12 and sending out the 72. And, and there's people who are going to take them in. And if you were one of those who took those traveling preachers into your home, you, you, you heard of the, the coming kingdom of God, the advancing kingdom of God, and you heard about a person named Jesus. And then you get to Luke chapter 24, and once again, you get hospitality. And this is a pretty well-known story. Jesus has been crucified. This is Easter morning. It's Resurrection uh, Sunday, and people are finding out that Jesus is alive. There's a couple here who are on a road back to their village called Emmaus, and they're walking on the road, and they are disillusioned, and they're discouraged, and they're disappointed because they thought Jesus was the Messiah. But now he's dead. But they meet a stranger on the road, and they're walking along, and the stranger is unpacking scripture for them and helping them understand. In fact, the stranger says the, the Messiah had to suffer and die. That was, the, that was the mission of the Messiah. In chapter 24, verse 28, um, the, the, we pick up the story. It says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. Uh, two things to note here. This is like undercover boss. They have no idea that this is Jesus. <laughs> the second thing is they're offering him hospitality. It's late. Stay with us. We've enjoyed your company. Come, come, come under the, the shelter of our roof. And they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. And then he appeared to Peter. Friends, what's the common theme through all those stories? The, the common theme with Abraham, Elijah, and Elisha, and the 12, and the 72, and the two on the road to, to Emmaus. Here's the common thing. Here's the thing that happens. If, if you're longing for a reconnection with God, if you're longing for a special connection with God, uh, hospitality is one. Every person that I've just mentioned here who offered hospitality, Abraham and Sarah, they get a word. It's a word of hope. The, the, the widow... Instead of dreading death, she is this incredible provision that she experiences. The Shunammite woman, the void in her life is filled. The, the people who take in the 12 and the 72, they, they get to hear uh, about the good news about what Jesus is doing. And the two on the road to Emmaus, they see Jesus. The common theme is that those who, not, not every time, but most often those who engage in biblical hospitality end up receiving the blessing of a special connection with God. This is Hebrews 13.2, entertaining angels unaware. It's an incredible experience. I, I, I thought I was blessing these people who were coming into my space, wherever that space might be, but it turns that actually I, I'm the one being blessed. And if you're, if you're longing for a fresh reconnection with God, um, you know, some people say, well, you know, re-engage in your prayer life. And that's true. That will bring refreshment. Or re-engage in, in reading your Bible. And yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll strengthen your spirit. That's a good thing to do. Hey, plug into community. That, that's an excellent thing to do. But have you ever considered the fact 
that practicing biblical hospitality actually might take you to a moment where you would say, our hearts are burning within us. And that's why we would take the risk to avoid the rapids of HGTV and the Mad Hatter and Debbie Downer and the couch potato and show kindness to strangers like we would show it to our best friends and to family. Now, a couple practical, practical ways to apply this. Uh, f- first one is, um, don't, don't put the, yeah, can, well, let's do this one. Which set of rapids is the hardest for you to navigate through right now? Just think about HGTV, that your temple of relaxation, your oasis. You think about your pace of life. Think about the risks. What could go wrong? If you think about your propensity to veg out, which one right now is the biggest struggle for you? Think about that. Talk about that over lunch. And think about what would it take you to navigate through that? Here, here's the second one. This one I don't have a slide for. Um, the second one says, find the strangest person you know and invite them over. Okay? <laughs> Now, if you get a bunch of invitations, <laughs> all right, you know, you may have some work to do. I was, I was talking, the reason I threw that, I was talking to a guy at the last service, he said, yeah, it was years ago, and Don Boomer, who was a pastor here at Sam Alliance, was talking on, on uh, you know, being, a, being fr- a friendly church, he said, you find the strangest people, uh, you invite them over, he said, man, I got three invitations in one week. <laughs> <laughs> It's not looking for the, the awkward person, but someone some you don't know. Invite them into your space. Here, here's the last thing I, I would say in, in helping us navigate this. Just plan a neighbor night. August 6th, I was told, August 6th is, uh, is I think it's annual neighbor day. I was talking to a guy who uh, is planning a, a, a big old barbecue in his backyard. His dream is to have an outdoor alpha ministry, you know, to show alpha on a big screen. But he's just starting small, just planning a neighbor night. And whether it's once a year or once a quarter or once a month or however you want to do it, and whether it's food or games or whatever the event might you know, look like, it's just being intentional. Here's the thing. This doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional. It takes planning. And it's worth it. Because those you're caring for, that's Jesus. And he, he loves it when his people love the stranger. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we, we thank you. You've given us life. We began this service reflecting on the cross, reveling in the fact that you split the seas so we could walk right through them. We rejoice in the fact that we've got life and death has been arrested we sang about your love coming down and we've enjoyed the fact that you are a God who heals and as we come to this end of this part of the service, we, we understand that you're a hospitable God. You, we remind ourselves that you've made room at the table for us. So, Lord, we want to be like you. We, yeah, we want to model your character. We want to be a holy people. We want to keep our distance from those things that would cause our souls to shrink. 
Now give us the courage to lean into the disciplines that would cause our souls to come alive. Speak to us. Thank you for being with us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.